Hello, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury, and I hope this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ. I hope it'll increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope it'll be at least a little bit entertaining as well. We're going to dive right in. Last week, I talked a lot about fasting. I'm going to talk about fasting a little bit more this week, because it really is quite central to Lent. To know what fasting is, what we fast for, but also to know um, what the goal of fasting is. And and I I do want to look at some scripture today, and I'm going to warn you now, I am largely winging it on which scriptures I'm choosing. So you're going to hear lots of page flipping going on, (laughs) but um, I'm going to give you here, actually, first off, one of the most famous biblical passages about fasting, and one that I think is very often misinterpreted. Now, this is from Isaiah 58, starting in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your regard. Now that follows this this. sort of tirade Isaiah has. I'm actually going to skip backwards so you can hear the whole thing. Sorry, I'm using a very large Bible and my microphone is in the way of my Bible. Probably a sermon in there somewhere. So here, let's, let's back up to the beginning of Isaiah 58. Which, by the way, in my Bible, Isaiah 58 has a little heading over it that says, true and false fasting, which I love. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. This is God speaking to Isaiah. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments and delight to draw near their God. So let's pause there. And what God is saying is these people, um, right, they delight to know my ways, which means they they delight to know the law. They delight in the practice of religion, but they are still not doing righteousness. He goes on, now this, this is God quoting what the people say to him in their prayers. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day, and this is God speaking back to them, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel, and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed? And to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? 
And he goes on, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the traps of the yoke? Let the oppressed go free and all that stuff. So what's going on here? Because a lot of people, I think, will use this passage as like a an excuse to not fast, right? Well, God said in that story that you only have to do this, right? Um, that's not really what Isaiah is saying, though. What he's saying is, um, the, the way you people are fasting is not what God wants. The way you're fasting is not what God wants. Why? Well, because fasting is supposed to produce something, right? Um, what they're doing is they're fasting, perhaps kind of for their own benefit. Um, perhaps they're fasting uh, to make themselves look really pious and religious. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So let's talk about a couple of things. First off, clearly Jesus and Isaiah both are assuming that the people are fasting on a regular basis. So what's up with that? Well, as it happens, we know that the ancient Jewish custom was to fast every Tuesday and Thursday. Every Tuesday and Thursday they would fast, and they would typically... Um, fast from uh, dinner the evening before until, until about mid-afternoon, um, so like 3 p.m. or so. And um, everyone did that. Everyone. That was just the practice. Um, in fact, there are places in the gospel, right, where the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, look, John's disciples fast. How come your disciples don't fast? Because um, John's disciples observed that Tuesday, Thursday fast. And Jesus' response is great. He goes, you don't fast while the bridegroom is present. When I'm gone, they'll, they'll start fasting again. So obviously Jesus' disciples are not fasting Tuesday and Thursday because Jesus has told them not to because it's a time of celebration because Jesus is physically with them. But he is assuming that when he ascends to heaven, they will resume that practice of a twice-weekly fast. And they did with a twist. They started fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays as a way to distinguish themselves from the Jews. Now, John Wesley later on would adopt this practice as well. So people tend to think this is a Methodist practice that he's just instituted and he expected all his pastors to do this. But actually, it's not a Methodist practice. It is an ancient, ancient, ancient Christian practice. Anyway, but Jesus here is saying more or less the same thing that Isaiah is saying. He's just using less poetic language, right? He's just stating it outright in very blunt, practical terms. You have people who are fasting and they want everyone to know they're fasting. Right? They make themselves look bad. They twist up their faces so that everyone knows they're feeling the hunger pangs, right? Everyone knows how holy they are. But going back to Isaiah, they don't do anything to make themselves righteous. They just skip a few meals. What Isaiah says is, that's not fasting. Fasting leads you to identify with the oppressed. 
Fasting is when you skip your food and you take the food you might have eaten or the money you might have spent on that food and you give it to the poor so they can eat. Fasting is when you understand that the hunger you're feeling is the hunger the poor feel every day and you grieve for that situation. Fasting is a way of bodily identifying with the suffering that's going on in the world, a way of bodily identifying with the pain that God himself feels at the suffering going on in the world. It's not just skipping meals to make yourself holy. So you see, if you're if you're fasting during Lent, but you're just um, doing it because you think it makes you holy, you're going to miss out. Fasting is a response to something. It's not a tool. It's not a tool. It's a response to something. Wesley called it a means of grace, which I think is accurate. I think we do access God's grace and do it. But, but what matters is the motivation. Why, why are you fasting? Now, the early Christians fasted twice a week, Wednesdays and Thursdays, not just because the Jews had already been doing that, but also because they recognized that the world is broken and the world is sinful. And they grieved, and so they fasted. They also recognized that there were people without enough food to eat, and they grieved, and so they fasted, and they used the extra resources they had as a result of not eating two days out of the week to help feed the hungry. But they also used those hunger pains as a way of identifying with the poor, of being in solidarity with them. And they also used it, by the way, as a way of emptying themselves so they could better express themselves to God. And that's another key component of fasting. That fasting is a way, you know, people will assume that there's like a long tradition of some of the great figures in Christian history, some of the great prayer warriors, some of the people whose prayers seem to be most effective also seem to do a lot of fasting and praying while fasting. And there's an assumption that it's the fast that makes the prayer powerful. And that's not really the case. It is instead their motivation behind fasting that makes the prayer powerful. Because the motivation behind their fast is that deep desire for God that outweighs their desire for food. I'll say it again. They have a desire for God that outweighs their desire for food. That's what makes their prayers effective. Fasting is just a physical way for them to express that desire for God. And if you take nothing else away from this podcast, let it be that. Let it be that fasting is how we express that our desire for God is greater than our desire for food. And that, it's that desire for God that will make a difference in your life and in your discipleship. It's not the fasting itself. The fasting is the way you express it. And I do think sometimes that you can sort of force yourself into having that desire. I, I, I do think if you practice fasting and you replace those meals with times of prayer, you can cultivate that desire within you that is deeper than a desire for food. You also begin to recognize, of course, your utter dependence on God and the reality that God can sustain you in ways food cannot, which again helps to cultivate that desire for God that is deeper and stronger than a desire for food. Now, I am saying this as someone who loves to eat. You can tell by looking at me, right? I love food. 
I love to cook because I love to eat, right? I'm a food person. And one of the things that happens when I fast is I realize just how much I live to eat. Right? I, I realize just how much pleasure and joy I derive from eating, which is a problem. Not that eating is bad or that good food is bad or that we should all deny ourselves good food or any of that stuff. It's just that I can very easily let that desire overwhelm other better desires. I could very easily let that desire motivate a lot of my decisions that I don't want it to motivate. And you can begin to see also how if you... If you begin to master that particular desire, that which is so fundamental, it's hardwired into our bodies. If we can begin to master that and, and subjugate that desire for food underneath our desire for God, we can then begin to do the same thing with other desires. This is why fasting has always been considered uh, an essential spiritual practice. It's why fasting was John, something that John Wesley considered one of the means of grace. Because it begins to teach you to desire God above all else. It is a physical manifestation of that desire, a physical expression of that desire. Something tangible to hang your faith on. I don't know what, all, what you all are doing for Lent. Um, I think I've said before, I, I've been doing just, like even before that, I was doing sort of intermittent fasting just as a way of trying to kind of help myself lose a little bit of weight and be a bit healthier, which meant I was, I was only eating between noon and 8 p.m. most days. Uh, no, no caloric intake outside those hours. Now, I'm still doing that, but my, my band members and I, before about two weeks before Lent started, we decided that we felt the Holy Spirit was leading us to start doing a weekly fast together. So we do that on Thursdays. So like from, from dinner on Wednesday, I don't eat anything again until dinner on Thursday. And that's my weekly fast, uh, which is why I don't do the uh, old school practice of fasting every Wednesday and every Friday because I'm, I'm doing that whole thing with my band. But uh, if I wasn't doing that, I think I would adopt that old practice. I think I would do something else. Whatever you're doing, adopt some kind of regular fasting practice. Lent is the perfect time to do it, right? Um, but it, adopt that practice and use that fast day not to focus on how hungry you are or, or how holy you are because you're fasting, but use that fast day to focus all your desire on God. To, to take that hunger you feel and let it turn your attention to God. To express how much you desire God more than you desire food. And when your fast is over, don't pig out. Don't turn into a glutton the minute your fast is over. That sort of defeats the purpose of the fast, right? And don't tell other people you're doing it. And then when Lent is over, keep it up. Keep it up. Now I'm talking a lot about fasting because when I'm doing it and I'm reading books on it as I do it to try and help myself improve a little bit, but um, it's, it's just this is, this is the season of fasting and repentance. And so it, it behooves us all to spend time thinking about fasting. We, we, most of us probably have a practice of giving something up 
for Lent. But that's not the same thing as fasting. That's abstinence, right? It's a Lenten sacrifice. It's not a fast. It's a good practice still. I, I, I do it too. Uh, this year I gave up Facebook for Lent, by the way. I deleted it off my phone, deleted it off my iPad, blocked it on my laptop. Um, so, if you, if you try and get in touch with me that way, by the way, it's not going to work. Um, and the reason I did that is just it occupied a lot of time and I felt myself just unhealthily attached to it. So I gave it up. Uh, so it's a healthy practice, but it's not the same thing as a fast. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. However you can incorporate it into your life, and I know some people listening may have medical conditions that make it ill-advised to actually fast. And if that's you, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but if you don't have a medical condition that makes it that makes fasting dangerous, find a way to do it. Find a way to do it. There's, there's no reason not to. Um, and in fact, if you don't want to, that's a pretty good sign you should do it. Because that means that you... Maybe have some growth to do in how much you trust the Lord uh, and, and, and where your desires lie. So think about it and do it. Um, and I would encourage you, I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't pick up something to give up for Lent, that's okay. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know for most people how much of a spiritual process that really is. Uh, I think a lot of people just, you know, give up something like chocolate or soda because they know it's bad for them. And then they give it up for 40 days, and then, like, on Easter Sunday, they eat three pounds of chocolate and down a two-liter bottle of soda. Um, and if that's what you're doing, it's not helping you much spiritually, I'll tell you that. Uh, I think that, uh, I do think that making a Lenten sacrifice can be a really good experience if you do it right. I think a fast can be a good experience if you do it right. And I also want to encourage you, um, this, is, this is the ideal time, especially if you are fasting, to spend time dabbling in uh, what might be called contemplative prayer, centering prayer, silent prayer, however you want to phrase it. It gets called different things in the Christian tradition, but it's, a, it's just a form of prayer where instead of you talking to God the whole time, you sit and you listen. And it's very difficult for most of us to do this, especially when we are just starting out, because we have no idea. We have no idea how to sit and just listen in silence for the Word of God to come and speak to us. We're not really good with silence. Um, it can be helpful when you do this, by the way. I mean, first get yourself comfortable. Find a good chair in a quiet place. Um... Don't relax too much, right? You want your body posture to be relaxed but alert so that you don't, you know, fall asleep while you're doing this. But you don't want to be stressed out either. Um, weirdly enough, if you uh, if you happen to have, no one listening probably has this, but if you happen to have, like, one of those med meditation cushions they use in Buddhism, those actually work really well for this too. And there are plenty of monks and nuns, by the way, who use those. So there's, there's nothing that says you can't just take that and use it for Christian prayer. Um... But they are a good way to actually sit in a way that's comfortable and relaxed, but keeps you alert. I don't have one, but I might soon. Um, and then you close your eyes and start taking slow breaths in your nose, out your nose. Maybe repeat the, the, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the inhale. 
Have mercy on me, a sinner, on the exhale. Do that a few times. Don't worry if random thoughts pop into your head, right? Just let them go. Don't dwell on them. Just let them go. And just maybe start sort of sinking into that prayer. Keep it, keep it tied to your breath, right? Inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. Keep with it for a while. It might take five, ten minutes. But what this does, there's actual science behind this, by the way. That sort of prayer that you sink to your breath, it not only sinks your prayer up to your breath, it also sinks your breath up to your heart rate. It slows your heart rate down. Sinks your brain waves. It just sort of, everything in your body just starts to work in unison and it calms you down. It settles you. It, it literally results in an altered mental state. And I do think that that makes you more receptive to hearing the voice of God. You might feel like you're sort of in that, that stage right before you fall asleep. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just sort of half awake, half asleep. Things pop into your mind unbidden. Um... And just stay there. Just stay there. And see what God does. Don't try and say words to God, right? If um, if things pop into your mind, if worries pop into your mind, anxieties that you're dealing with in your day, or, or if people you know, um, whether they're people who need prayer or people who have ticked you off or whatever, pop into your mind, just lift them up to God wordlessly. You can help to kind of imagine, imagine yourself handing things to God as you do that. Hand them over to God. And keep at it as long as you can. Because eventually what's going to happen is you will start to notice the presence of God more. You'll start to sense Him in the room with you. You'll start maybe to hear Him communicating with you. Maybe wordlessly, maybe some of you will hear His voice. That does happen sometimes. It might just be wordless communication. It might just be a sense of love washing over you. Um, but this is a good time to adopt that that practice because I, I find personally that something about praying that kind of prayer in a fasted state works better. I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I know for me, um, it is much easier for me to engage in that kind of prayer when I am fasting than when I have got a full stomach or when I'm looking forward to what my next meal is going to be. And it's just something about Allowing yourself to be empty that way, physically empty. Right? Remember, there is a connection between body and soul. There is a connection. They're not separate things. There are two halves of the whole. And so that physical emptiness makes it easier to create a spiritual and mental emptiness and allow the spirit in. So I'm, I'm just, I, I want to keep encouraging you to use Lent not just as a time to give something up that's unhealthy, but to fast and to draw yourself closer to God. So that when we get to Easter Sunday and we celebrate the resurrection, you have that deep, deep joy inside you that comes from being a Christian and knowing, knowing that Christ's resurrection is just a foretaste of all the glory he's going to work in our lives for eternity.
these practices, they're very, very ancient practices. And we've kind of gotten away from them, especially in the Protestant tradition, especially in the West. Um, partly because they seem very Catholic, right? Contemplative prayer is very much a thing that Catholic nuns and monks have been doing for a long time. Uh, and so Protestants get kind of wary around that. Fasting, also very much a Catholic thing. And we don't always, even as Protestants, understand how to fast. And, and, and even more especially, those of us coming out of the old UMC, we just have no idea about this stuff. <laughs> we just have no clue. Um, and I, we have to start reclaiming not just these practices, but this idea of whole body worship. That we worship and honor God with our bodies as well as with our souls. This ties into so many things. I mean, this is actually a core component of our of our beliefs and theology about marriage and sexuality and gender. That actually we honor God with our whole body. Because the body and the soul are not separate things, but two halves of the whole. And so it matters what we do with them. Which means then, part of how we honor God and part of how we worship God must have to do with how we eat. How we sit. How we treat our bodies. How we pray, right? Um... And that also means that when you pray, what you're doing with your body while you pray should affect how you pray, right? Your posture matters when you pray. This doesn't mean you can't just, you know, pray to God quickly while you're driving down the street to work or, or any of that. All of that stuff is good. And if you are going to pray without ceasing like the Bible tells you to, uh, then you have to pray no matter what your body posture is, no matter what you're doing. You have to be able to do that. But there is something about body posture that can affect the mind and the heart and open you up to hearing God. And so there are times when it matters how you're sitting, how you're breathing. These things, this is ancient Christian wisdom. And um, people in the modern world get really iffy about it because it doesn't, when you start talking about that kind of prayer, it doesn't just sound like Catholic. It sounds like Buddhism and, and all this weird Eastern stuff. And... Um, Part of the reason it does is because they do that stuff, but part of the reason it sounds like it's something that they do is because we have forgotten that actually this is something we used to do. We've forgotten it. This is These are ancient, ancient Christian practices that we've kind of forgotten and, and let go of. Um, one of the great prayers of recent history is Thomas Merton, who was a Catholic monk in Kentucky. You didn't know they had monasteries in Kentucky, did you? Uh, but they did, and he lived in one. And um, the great classic book called Contemplative Prayer, really short little read. Um, but the focus of his life's work, that he wrote, well, most of his writing, dealt with um, this aspect of Christian spirituality where he dives into contemplative prayer and mysticism and, and finding ways to sit in the silence of prayer and and dwell in the presence of God. And one of the re things he did that, I don't know, it might have made him a bit controversial, but one of the things he did a lot of is he would talk with Eastern spiritual leaders like the Dalai Lama and other Buddhist leaders. Not because he thought that their religion was accurate. Uh, he was very devout Catholic. But because he understood that they had a, a language and a method for this sort of attentiveness to the inner life that Western Christians had lost. And so he took a lot of what they did and then figured out how to sort of apply it in the Christian context. Um, 
but he understood very clearly that actually this is the the ancient church did this they did these sorts of things they figured out how to be contemplative and to sit in the silence and and to clear the mind and the heart and let the, let those things dwell on the presence of god and i'm just i want to encourage you this is the time to do it i mean this is lent you're Hopefully you are already fasting. If you're not fasting, make a day and fast and, and find some time and sit in the silence. Pray that Jesus prayer. Inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just keep doing that for five minutes, ten minutes. Until you, you feel yourself starting to sort of the best way I can describe it is you just sort of sink into that prayer. And you begin to notice the presence of God a bit more. And God may begin to communicate with you. Sometimes, sometimes he does that by putting images in your head. Sometimes you just feel a sense of warmth. Some of you, he may actually speak to you in words. But this is the time to do it. Not that you shouldn't do it outside of Lent, but this is the time to start that practice. I hope, my friends, that, that this season becomes a time when you uh, really do deepen your faith uh, and you really do um, connect with God on a level you haven't before. That's my prayer for you all. And that's all we've got for today. I'll be back next week with another Linton podcast. Until then, God bless.